I'm Kevin Barrett, and you're listening to Truth Jihad Radio. No commercials, no foundation sponsors, 100% crowdfunded since 2010. If you want to support this kind of radio and get early access to the shows, please go to kevinbarrett.substack.com. Okay, yeah, sorry about the glitch. That, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> just just at the moment that the show started, my uh, Skype interface froze. So yeah, and I'm supposed to come out and defend technology, right? 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 When we have a stumble at the at the get go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I think that that proves that technology is out to get me anyway. Right? But, yeah. Uh, maybe not you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm. I, I don't know to what extent you're familiar with David Skrbina's work, but he's he's done some interesting stuff. His book, The Metaphysics of Technology, is a really good compendium of the you know serious and kind of harsh critics of technology. Uh, the, the leading people uh, working in these various traditions, the Heideggerian tradition, and then these the folks who came along in the 60s and 70s uh, and so on. And, of course, David has even gone so far as to edit a book or two by Ted Kaczynski, uh, who carried on a, a, a literal war against technology. And he mm. got his, uh, his screed published in the New York Times after uh, blowing up some, uh, some pro-technology professors and their secretaries. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, David makes a lot of great points in his book and he made a lot of good points in the first hour. And his argument is relentlessly pro, uh, what it, it will anti-tech. And he, he argues that there's a kind of determinism, uh, by which technology is running on its own momentum and that we humans don't really have much control and that it's all taking us to a likely very, very destructive place. And I know you have a somewhat different view, so maybe you could sort of summarize sure. how your view differs from his. I guess my question first, um, since I haven't really looked at his work, though I have looked at a little bit of Ted Kaczynski uh, Unabomber stuff, um, and I, I've read a bit of his treatise uh, published with the New York Times, um, curious, does he, um, acknowledge in his analysis of human civilization or history, the existence of an oligarchy that is working aggressively to sabotage the good? Does he take that seriously and treat it? Or does he sort of treat things in, um, in an anti-free will deterministic fashion without such intelligible agencies working hard to subvert the good? Uh, how does he, how does he think about it? That's a good question. Yeah. We would have to bring him back really to ask him that. To get a good answer, uh, my reading okay. of his book is that he's critiquing uh, a kind of technological juggernaut that then uh, you know, the technology itself uh, evolves in such a way that it almost invites or necessitates the humans who plug into it to do many of the bad things that they do. For example, the technology of agriculture quite naturally led to warlords raiding the peasants and stealing their grain and hoarding it up to pay thugs or what we call soldiers to raid and steal even more grain the next year, building up uh, what we would call the very first empire and the very first quote, so-called civilization, meaning a life in cities, because the people who lived on the grain that had been stolen from the peasants who grew it would be uh, the city-based people and civilization means life in cities. So it's, it wouldn't be so much the psychopathic warlords 
that would be blamed, I think, from David's point of view, it would be actually the development of the agricultural technology and the weapons technology would create a situation in which somebody, you know, whichever humans happen to be born with a genetic predisposition to a little bit of aggression and so on, uh, would just plug into that. And so that it's really more of a, a non, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the humans so much as the technological system that invites the humans to become the monsters that they become. It still sounds a little bit, though, like the neoconservative or even like the Ayn Randian um, hypothesis of the origins of human civilization as, you know, the, the Randians has even have even posited that we are ultimately the selfish species that our first act when we became civilized and, and dropped seeds was to kill our neighbor um, in an assertion of our own will to power. Um, it doesn't seem all that different in that sense from that faction, which ultimately seems to be something which David probably doesn't approve of, I would say. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Although I, I think that maybe uh, his critique would acknowledge that people, most people are for the most part reasonably cooperative and oh, yeah? okay. you know, not selfish psychopaths. And good. that, before the invention of agriculture and the advancement of weapons technology and so on, that people lived in smaller groups, uh, mostly by hunting and gathering, and then a little bit of very, very primitive agriculture for quite a while. Mm. And in it, with those levels of technology, there was quite a lot of uh, sharing, cooperation, egalitarianism, and so on. But it was when these new technologies came along to produce vast amounts of really empty calories in the form of grain and then uh, better weapons that that then led to uh, a very few people uh, behaving in this Ayn Randian super selfish psychopathic way. And in the same way today that it's we can blame these elites for doing what they do, but there's this technological machine that's sitting there that's going to very lavishly reward anybody who jumps into any of these niches and they're all replaceable. So in a sense that there's some sort of deterministic technology that's creating the problem and these psychopathic, you know, cretins who we love to blame and, you know, rightly so are just going to be naturally, if we, you know, if we kill one of them, some, a new one just pops up and plugs into that, uh, niche in the civilizational ecosystem. So I think that's his view anyway. And I think mm. he, he may be right. I don't know. What do you think? Mm. Well, I mean, I not having been there, you know, 50, 80, 100,000 years ago, God knows when we started planting seeds and, and organizing ourselves that way around agriculture in an organized fashion. Not, I mean, it's a lot of speculation. You know, I, I can entertain hypotheses about what those early, early, um, humans would have would have been thinking about and doing with each other whether or not they would have been working in harmony um or as as a as a primary drive at, uh, after which point selfishness corruption and other things oligarchism uh, asserted itself and started disrupting the good or whether oligarchism selfishness selfishness and disruption were the natural um originating qualities that emerged out of the ag uh, agricultural uh, process. Um, that's, that's open to a lot of speculation. Again, nobody was there. It's like talking about what's going on inside the sun, you know, like who's, who's seen it. Um, so there's a lot of like, I think creative writing and people shaping narratives to accommodate their, their personal, um, biases to justify whatever they want to, to, to believe is the world. 
when it comes to like, you know, at the very least analysis, analyzing or, or talking about early civilization. I know that uh, what I could say, um, I've been looking into the, you know, the train derailments recently that have, uh, and it's not just the, 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 the three or what is it, four now, train derailments of carrying ha- hazardous waste that has contaminated big chunks of dense agricultural land in the United States. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's actually hundreds of these similar cases of trains derailing that um, have been not really covered by the mainstream media since really the last two years, especially the highest density of train derailments in, in the current case of, of East Palestine, Ohio and Arizona, South Carolina, and uh, I, I think it's Houston. Um, there's no coverage really of, of any re- relevant sort of the media of the uh, you know, those bleeding hearts who really say they care so much about the environment. Nobody's really talking about it. Um, and what I was thinking about, I, I did a deep dive about a decade ago into something called the Deep Green Resistance set up out of as a California, Vancouver, B.C., West Coast based um, eco terrorist group, which on its manifesto, I haven't looked at them for about 10 years, so I'm going to revisit them. But um, their manifesto called for the organization of above grounders and, and below grounders to declare war on, ind- on industrial civilization. One of the three founders of that group was um, organized by Ted Kaczynski directly as a pen pal um, who, you know, cr- posited that. And, te- you know, Ted Kaczynski, keep in mind, he was an MK Ultra op- um, victim in the 50s when he was part of this elitist Harvard College uh, program uh, that was sponsored by the CIA to see like what would be the psychology and behavioral patterns of elite elite Ivory Ivory League um, Ivy League uh, students, and all of the files in that program were burned. So we only have hearsay about like what the hell he would have been through. But he came out of it with this firm religious like belief that as technology increases, freedoms must necessarily decrease as a formula. Um, which guided his life and the bombs he set that destroyed lives. And, and I mean, you know, this is a serious deal. Uh, but he organized thousands of, of devotees and disciples around the world who became real, real, um, um, di- again, lack of a better word, devotees, including one of the co-founders of the Deep Green Resistance. And so on their website, they went through how the above grounders have to work to infiltrate the official establishment corridors of power in things like Davos, World Bank, you know, banking systems that would transition towards trying to push things like the Green Climate Bankers Compact, which Mark Carney oversaw, uh, the corporate sector as well, to try to bring the official above ground world into conformity with the ideals of undermining industrial civilization, while the, the below grounders would organize to declare war on infrastructure, uh, hydroelectric dams and water systems and food production facilities and you know they they put out some sophistry saying we won't hurt people we'll just declare war on the infrastructure sustaining people so it's not the same thing now that that, that's crazy why why wouldn't they go after like the military infrastructure and you know the most anti-human kinds of infrastructure good point kevin and it's like if they were not um a cult organized by social engineers to carry out an actual attack on humanity, I would, I'd be like, yeah, that would make perfect sense, right? Like if you really cared about stopping the worst things that humans do, why not do what you just said? But yeah, they buy, don't buy weapons labs. <laughs> for, for sure, right? There's like enough of them. There's 11 BSL-4 labs in the US and God knows how many hundreds around the world. So why not do something like that? But no, not of course not. No, it's, it's to attack civilian infrastructure and, you know, um, food processing plants and stuff like that. There's hundreds that have blown up in weird circumstances over the past two years 
in this race no, to push no, it. Have, yeah. have these yeah. like deep green type type eco terrorists taken credit for any of this? Is or is this just speculation that they are behind this? No, there's no smoking guns. It's it's all just an. It's all the fact that they've called for it in their manifesto on their website, and I've seen enough evidence with subsidiary groups like the, the you know the Extinction Rebellion and um, Fridays for whatever it's called. There's so many like different subgroups, um, and then I look at the type of of operatives put into positions who are into the Malthusian depopulation agenda in official channels and intelligence agencies, government, business. Like I mentioned, Mark Carney is one of them. The Davos crowd is full of them. It's like <laughs> you think you're being like a rebel against the establishment. You are the establishment, you idiots. Like they have become the establishment and they don't see it. Um, and this is what Ma- Maury Strong, you know, one of the co-founders of the Davos of, of the World Economic Forum, who, who was Klaus Schwab called my mentor, Maury Strong, Canadian, but an agent of David Rockefeller, had called for back in his uh, interview with, um, what was it? West Magazine in 1990 before he headed the Rio summit in Brazil where he said that isn't the responsibility of uh, leaders of Davos to bring about the collapse of industrial civilization to defend nature. These guys have always been about just simply restoring global feudalism and they've got a bunch of useful tools who don't understand geopolitics or the, the manipulations of oligarchs to become agents against the will of most of the I think these people carrying out the the work the heavy lifting um to undermine their own civilization and again people like maury strong and mark carney have, have been doing this for a long time and there's so many others i mean they're all over the biden administration it's it's what it is it's a cult so so this uh derailment in east palestine ohio which yeah. didn't seem to get much media coverage at first None. And, and then it kind of we it got forced into the media a little bit by virtue of, of the social media talking about it yeah. that it seems uh very strange in a number of ways one of them of course is that it's life imitating art or is it predictive programming in the sense that the movie white noise based on the Dan DeLillo novel of the same name, which it finally got made, you know, this is, this novel was a huge force in the culture decades ago. And only this past year, they finally came out with this movie, which I actually saw. And it's the airborne toxic event. Uh, and, and when the movie came out, people related that to COVID, right? Another airborne toxic event. Uh, indeed, they said, well, DeLillo was prescient. You know, he saw this sort of thing coming and, you know, this, this has yeah. eerie, you know, precognitive sorts of, uh, reverberations with, with COVID. But now it turns out that the movie, which is about a train derailment leading to a massive toxic spill and then a huge toxic smoke cloud causing evacuations in Ohio, that's exactly what just happened. And a bunch of the people who were hired to be extras in the movie, are now actually in exactly the same situation that they were in in the movie. Now, either that's a really weird kind of Jungian synchronicity style coincidence, or maybe somebody doing predictive programming has a really weird sense of humor. Yeah, no, Kevin, uh, people need to internalize the fact that they're living in a giant um, uh, psyop. That's what we're living in. Nothing you see on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Crave, you should assume is just some innocent story that's there to entertain you. There's at this point um, a full, full war against the minds, morals and culture of society to get us and induce us to shut off our thinking moral part of ourselves and just adapt to a situation of scarcity that is going to be artificially created and is being artificially created. Um, in order to hurt us into a big kill. That's been the objective for many decades. It's not a new thing that emerged overnight. So yeah, like 
I think you're totally right. This is certainly, certainly predictive programming. Um, the, the, the way I think that people need to really address this, though, is by first taking responsibility for the I mean, a lot of evil has been done in the name like the U.S. has been taken taken over. Uh, you know, if you look at like positive pro-science, pro-industrial figures who were who were cut down and killed by assassins bullets. And here I'm talking about anti-Malthusians like John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy. If you read the writings, look at their policies. They were all teaching very similar things that technology is the consequence of the will and aspirations of human beings. JFK, big time infrastructure, the the ability to leap over the limits to growth by applying new technologies that allow us to discover new resources that didn't exist when we were ignorant of certain laws of nature. That was it's part of the recipro the reciprocal dance that we have with the entire universe is we sustain life. We can have seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty billion of us to the degree that we are not. We don't allow ourselves to remain corrupt, ignorant and foolish, but to the degree that we actualize new creative eurekas, leaps and and transform them in the form of new discoveries. Yeah, we can the universe responds by giving us a liberty to have more people living at a higher quality of life. Um, less infant mortality, all these other good things are the consequence, but it comes with a moral responsibility as all true freedom does. That like fake freedom comes with zero responsibility. It's like the freedom to like screw whatever you want, eat whatever pizza you want. Like that's not real freedom. That's just like things you do. Um, real freedom is with responsibility. So that requires the advancement and qualitative improvement of cultural dynamics that have to increase in tandem with technological uh, progress as well. And if technological progress um, is disjointed from morality, from moral cultural phenomena, then you get scientific dictatorships. It's going to happen. It should it should happen that way if, if people aren't moral enough to organize themselves in a way that allows them to understand what what they should be allowing their governments to do. Or, and government is a form of technology, by the way. It, it's just it's, it's more of a metaphysical technology, but it's like, you know, multiple parts of a system working to achieve a goal, a, a purpose, which is what any machine or design you create is, has many parts that work together to make a, a, an outcome to, to do a purpose. With government, though, being a, a more metaphysical machine, you, which could be made worse or better, it, uh, it relies upon more people understanding how to see with their mind's eye what is going on in the system. And most people today have been intentionally dumbed, dumbed down so they don't understand how to think about the technology of the system of government, and it has been thus co-opted by those same very forces that killed JFK and his brother and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and have been working to try to do, you know, they'll pervert everything they can and corrupt it to enslave and destroy and kill. So that's, you know, like the only type of technological advancement permitted in the last 50 years is really like in the military tech, where it involves what, killing people, or in entertainment and, you know, psychotropics and other shit that involves, sorry for the language, that involves you know, making people more of your mind slaves and, and de detaching them from their role in a system. So, of course, if you if you if you do that, yeah, you're going to get a scientific dictatorship and technology will be used to enslave. But it doesn't have don't blame technology for it and don't blame government for it. Blame like your you know, the, the, the fault is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings, as Shakespeare's Cassius said to Brutus. You know, it's, it's really we have to look in ourselves in our own hearts. So, so how, how about the argument that these technologies kind of have sort of built in tendencies that are really going to be hard to override if they could be overridden at all? For example, with the Internet, when the Internet was first created, the optimistic view 
was that it would allow people to communicate with each other virtually for free. And so no longer would we have to pay for printing presses and all these other kinds of expenses that had in the past created kind of a, a hierarchy where a very few gatekeepers had a lot of power and money and they decided what got printed, which messages got reproduced and distributed. So with the internet, suddenly everybody could just communicate with everybody. And this was supposed to be hugely beneficial in so many ways. You, you know, you can quickly learn how to do just about anything you want to learn how to do. And people will help each other and do it for free. The motto was information wants to be free. And it seemed like a, almost a kind of utopian technology. But, uh, you know, and, and we thought that, yeah, this technology has these biases towards all these good things. However, as it turns out, it was a good technology also for spying and censorship. Because the scalability factor in which, uh, you know, one person with a powerful machine or, you know, a few people with a bureaucracy with powerful machines can either block other people's messages uh, or uh, to intercept other people's messages and spy on them and then make money with that or control people with that, that that ended up being almost inevitable because once that possibility is there, then somebody, um, you know, not necessarily everybody is going to want to misuse this technology, but because there's a potential to gain power and money by misusing it, that someone's going to do it. And so people like Zuckerberg and all these other people that have misused that technology, they always say, well, if it's not me, it's, it's somebody else. It's like that Israeli proverb, if I don't steal it, somebody's going to steal it. <laughs> I think George Soros, uh, yeah, co-opted that for his uh, "Why I Love to Work with the Nazis" uh, <laughs> sixty-minutes interview from nineteen ninety-eight. Right, I right. So, so somebody is, is else it, was going to do it. it. It's like it's like right. uh, economic speculation. Same thing. Right. So, um, so, so, so what, what's yeah. what's the argument against that? Because it's these technologies that make it possible for for you know anybody who chooses to jump in and misuse the technology is going to gain money and power, just like with a nation state. Whichever nation state yeah. chooses to exploit the weapons yeah. technology wins. And so, how, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how, yeah. how do we still have control? How, how is well, how look, is Carbino I mean, wrong? Yeah, man, dude. Well, look, a knife a knife can stab your neighbor and steal his uh, his his stuff, or it could cut your bread and, and help uh, you know provide food for for your your family. I mean, a knife is a knife; it's a dual use. Everything is dual use. Right, Everything but, but inevitably, create, some, inevitably some of both is going to happen. Well, the, the the question is again, like, what type of cultural standards are you um, allowing into your world? And I mean, a lot of people just don't, they don't have a clear idea of what culture is and the, how it influences and how we thereby also in, can influence for negative or for positive ways that cultural field that shapes all of us and, and our kids and grandkids and those to come after the value systems. Like, like, you know, if you don't have John Adams once said, and he's got a lot of problems, but one thing that he did say that I do like is that the Republic is, was designed for a moral and religious people. It, it is wholly unfit for any other type of person. Um, that's true. It only works to the degree that you have cultural systems of and values and norms that are that are tied to moral principles and values that are more than the fleshly passions that we might yearn for in the moment as as beasts might. Um, so I mean, everything is dual use. Everything that we we create can can do create can cause destruction or creation. It it really comes down to this free will question and this value question that I think people, too few people give enough attention to. 
Um, as far as the internet is concerned, like it came out of the military industrial complex in DARPA. I find it a miracle that good has been done from the internet in the first place. I'm, I thank God that it is. I thank God that it's there. Otherwise, you know, if it was in the eighties or nineties, I would have had to, had to have gotten lucky receiving maybe a pamphlet or some book as a gift from somebody that was like printed from a, a non-mainstream press, which was pretty rare to come by. Whereas today I was, I luckily have a lot more options, but. I mean, again, the, the thing itself is not a neutral medium. It came out of the military industrial complex and things like social media, Facebook, MySpace earlier on, uh, Twitter, all were done un, under the oversight of social engineers who wanted to get certain psychological effects of a, you know, compartmentalized short attention span of victimized population that didn't know how to think in an organized fashion and would just always want just little momentary blips of, of interesting things that couldn't organize – would intentionally disorganize the minds of people who would be designed to be um, influenced and taken over by a feudal oligarchy that wants to get rid of nation states and impose a one-world government of a restoration of feudalism like we had a 1,000 years ago um, or even further back in time. Like David Suzuki, a big green guru Santa Claus figure in Canada who all people have been told – are, you know, I've been conditioned to get warm, fuzzy feelings for because he's just this nice guy. He's openly come out saying the only um, the place that human beings went wrong was with the Industrial Revolution. And he's come out on, on many occasions saying that the only equilibrium with nature, which should be permitted by by some form of world government, is 250 million people is what he's saying we have to go back to to, be, to heal nature. Like these are psychopathic genocidalists at this point who are being celebrated as being like these green eco friendly Santa Claus types um, by the virtue of social propaganda. And we've been duped big time and we're not looking at the actual oligarchs who have been working very hard to corrupt us and induce us to basically take on the attributes of the very oligarchy itself. That is the useless leaders because the, the, you know, Yuval Harari, who also believes in the Unabomber formula that, you know, technologies increase should coincide with the decrease proportionally of freedoms. Yuval Harari and the Davos crowd also believe that they just solve it in a different way because they're they're like, well, we might as well at this point integrate with machinery and uh, avoid going extinct by, you know, uh, becoming human machines and maybe like upload our, our fake souls to the cloud and become immortals. Like they've got a weird psychopathic way of addressing it, but they all believe in the same messed up formula. And the, 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 the reality is that we have this oligarchy that's been killing our leaders, hundreds of leaders around the world in, in Africa, you know, Patrice Lumumba of, of Kwame Nkrumah and, 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 and Sankara. And, and there's so many of the list. You've seen the lists. It's a huge list of artificial killing of people who were fighting for the industrial development and modernization of their societies outside of the IMF and World Bank psychopaths. Um, they get killed or overthrown by CIA coups, including American leaders, too. Um, so it's like, would would this destructiveness of technology be the case, be be such a problem if you didn't have these arsonists lighting fires everywhere, you know, and, and trying to act like they don't exist? That's that's my problem. Yeah, no, I think I think you're onto something. I think that the, there's a, an oligarchy with its own entrenched culture that yeah. is definitely influencing the way these technologies develop. I remember in when I was uh, studying in Paris, France, in 1988, 1989, that there was a new uh, sort of computerized telephone called the Minitel, and mm -hmm. the, the Minitel had like a little screen, you know, very primitive. It was it was sort of like you know Pong as opposed to modern video games, 
but it was obviously designed sort of by government bureaucrats who were thinking about making it sort of useful and, uh, in, you know, in the same way that at that time, French television consisted of three or four channels, all of which had reasonably intelligent stuff on them, while the U.S. had uh, 100 cable channels with essentially nothing to watch. And so you know, my take was that France at that time was a bit more, you know, socialist, uh, a little bit less under the control of these oligarchs. And they were striving to find a way to try to make their communications infrastructure actually serve people and sort of raise up the cultural level, as opposed to the U.S., which was under the control of these you know, free market oligarchs who were interested basically in just exploiting the masses through lowest common denominator programming and the latest bells and whistles and their computer technology all under private ownership uh, for maximum profit. And so you end up with this really dumbed down kind of culture and, and uh, heavy duty exploitation. So, uh, yeah, I think the culture is it does matter, but... Uh, I, I still wonder what the, you know, what, what would be a way to actually get control of this technology and use it for, for the good, mm. given that I don't see a lot of examples of that, you know, over in. Okay. In well, here, let me, let me give you an example. Um, like take, take for example, right now, um, uh, okay, China. So let's look at China and some of their, there, there's a support for terminology like the fourth industrial revolution in different sectors in China, you know, quantum computing, 3d printing, AI, machine learning, things like that. So, um, what are the physical manifestations of that in China? I, one quick example I've got, and this is a place where they've culturally gone to war with the post-truth post-modernism on a big level. Like Xi Jinping has banned the effeminization of men in media. He's banned addiction to uh, video gaming from to uh, anybody under the age of 17 uh, can't have more than three hours of video games uh, per week. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, which he calls the op the spiritual opium war. There's so many other points. Um, but the, there's one of the biggest dams, five of the largest hydroelectric dams in the world have been built by China in the past 20 years on top of the 36,000 kilometers of high-speed rail and something like five different maglev rail networks. One is functional, four in are being built. Um, this One of the biggest dams is a 189-meter-high hydroelectric dam, which is going to create something like 14 gigawatts of electricity, uh, huge amounts of water reservoirs for increased food abundance, at a time when, you know, in the West, we're creating scarcity, right? They're doing that. Now, the thing about this particular dam, I forget the name of it. It's on a tributary of the Yangtze, uh, the, 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 the Yellow River, is that there won't be a single human being uh, involved in its creation. It's already about halfway built. It's going to be done by 2024, and it's entirely being built by 3D printing. And they have like sort of automated, like sort of um, pounding machines to pound in the the cement moving in an automated way. Uh, layer by layer as this thing is being built up. Um, it's being coordinated by a form of AI lo uh, lo logarithms that are sort of like managing the interfacing system. I, I personally think there's probably a few human beings involved in some level, but the consequence, like I said, is massive abundance of increase of energy production um, and food production across the board and general water management, in which which is vital because China has a big misdistribution of excess water in the south, not a lot of water in the north. And part of their big water uh, management program is taking part of the southern water runoff, which is a flood zone, and moving it to the drought-ridden zones in the north and in the, in the west. 
um, which is the sort of thing JFK was actually doing when he was killed, which we sabotaged and, and ended when he died and his brother died under things like Nawapa, the, you know, the, the moving of Yukon water down from the Yukon and Alaska down into, uh, into California and Texas. That was all stopped and sabotaged to protect nature. So, um, I compare that to the type of utilization of 3D printing, machine learning, uh, automation that I see applied from the ideologues coming from the death cultists in the West, and nothing of the sort involves benefiting human beings. It's it's all being more used for um, motions and actions that are going to enslave and hurt human beings. So it's a very different philosophy and morality undermining or underlying the application or interpretation of terms like fourth industrial revolution or whatever, um, which were talked about even in the fifties, right? The, the people were already looking at the, the trajectory of information systems, feedback loops and things back in the fifties, Norbert Wiener was talking about it as being something which would result as automation increases with every type of repetitive job that humans do could be feasibly done by some, uh, logarithmic logarithmic driven computer that could do repetitive work. Now that doesn't mean humans are irrelevant. It just simply means that repetitive work that requires no mind power could be done by computers. But as was also discovered over the centuries, a computer or a machine could feasibly do the work of a hundred slaves, meaning that 99 slaves go free can now, you know, discover and utilize real skills, tap into powers of their, their themselves that they didn't know and couldn't develop when they were working as beasts on the plantation and that one slave that might've been formerly a slave now has real um, expertise to learn how to work a very complex machine that is doing the work of those hundred people. Does that mean humans are irrelevant? At no point in human history did we ever find that humans went irrelevant whenever we had one of these creative leaps into progress. We just found that new domains opened up that involved new fields of specialization that didn't exist when we were ignorant of let's say electricity, um, you know, there's only so many candle makers that you need when you're living in a world that only uses candle to emit light versus like electricity that causes not just light bulbs, but a whole variety of things that are nonlinear and you couldn't forecast when you were living in a, in a candle driven society. So there's no evidence that these, these misanthropic anti-technologists are actually correct, who usually find themselves also in the Malthusian wing thinking that we're also overpopulated. Because obviously technology allows for more people, but that means if technology is bad, means more people is bad. So that, um, well, I, I, think, I think the argument is it's unsustainable. The argument is that it's definitely, you know, the, the bigger it grows, the worse it's going to crash inevitably. Yeah. If you, if you allow an oligarchical system to go unchecked, sure. Oligarchies are intrinsically unsustainable. So if, if you're not, like leading a fight to do battle with oligarchism. Sure. Yeah. You're going to go into dark ages. You're going to collapse like the Roman empire did or any other empire must. Um, but that's why I, I find it very important to study the different approach that um, human beings have been able to do against oligarchism at different times, though has never been um, has all of these moments of goodness that we've been able to arrange. Um, the emancipation of human beings in opposition to oligarchism has, has been sabotaged. Today we see like, you know, Russia, China, India, other countries, Persia, Iran, working in an alliance of civilizational powers in a, in, for the first time I've ever seen such a, such a conjunction of different civil, civilizational um, power structures cohering around a common understanding of the threat 
which is what Zbigniew Brzezinski even forecast would be the only intolerable opposition to the New World Order back in 1997 was like a Russia-China-Iran conjunction. But not just negatively, they're also uh, recognizing the positive win-win basis of cooperation, which is in the true nature of human beings. If we are actually a species that's designed to live in happiness and goodness, we have to find points of, of common win-win cooperation that transcend our linguistic, ethnic, or whatever territorial divergences that cause us to separate and thus fall into divide and conquer um, traps that are always set for us. So I think that these guys have done a pretty good job so far, but there's still fifth colonists in all three of those big countries I just mentioned that have to be still extracted. But I think it's a very different um, moral principle that could do battle with the oligarchy in an effective way and unleash something really good for the utilization of tech and science for the benefit of human beings within a universe created in the image of a creator um, that we're we should be exploring and you know, like resonating with in a more harmonious way rather than acting in defiance of God's creation for the purpose of a master-slave societal, you know, set of relationships like like certain forces want to do. Yeah, well, I, I certainly, certainly agree with that agree part. With that part. And I, I think, though, that there is there a different is sort a of between, between the choice of either having us. Could you could you turn it down a little bit, Max? I think I'm getting an echo. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could I could do a uh, mute. I could do mute. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, so the there's a difference between the problem of slavery uh, ver versus automated agriculture, in which you know that that's a false dichotomy, in which one might say that the choice is either between growing food using uh, an army of slaves out working in the fields versus um, having a few of those slaves get smart and learn how to run machines. And so they can sort of sit in the control room, pulling the lever as the big automated tractor is going around plowing the land and planting the crops and harvesting them. Um, but I think that's a false dichotomy because actually neither of those scenarios really appeals to me. Uh, what I actually enjoy doing more than anything else is working in the garden, uh, cutting firewood, keeping my house warm by burning the wood that I've cut, uh, that muscular work in nature, uh, surrounded by nature, is really the, by far the best part of my life, other than sort of you know, some social aspects, you know, relating to the people I love. And sitting in a control room, uh, playing, you know, playing with a, a remote-controlled tractor, plowing the ground, totally doesn't appeal to me really any more than being in a slave gang. Um, and it occurs to me that the problem that David points to actually is, is real in that you, um, you know, once you have that ability to grow the crops through the machine, then the people who would like to be growing the crops by hand and selling them uh, are going to be undercut. The machine-grown crops are going to be cheaper. You've just put those people out there, you know, gardening and selling at the farmer's market out of a job, and you actually end up with that oligarchical or extremely, you know, hierarchical society uh, due to the development of that very technology and that the the niches that evolve for people to be high up on the technological ladder, you know, being in charge of designing the machines – and to some extent running the machines, those very, very, very few people who are needed to do that stuff end up really well paid. And then the vast majority of people 
who have neither the interest nor the ability, or at least one or the other they lack, to do that stuff. Uh, and there's only a certain number, a very small number of niches for people to do that stuff. So the vast majority of people then become obsolete or useless eaters, as Harari would say. And those people would be really happy if you didn't have those damn tractors and control rooms, because then they could be out there working together with each other, having a rich social life in nature, growing food. Really good food, better food than the damn tractor can grow. Uh, okay. and so the technology actually creates the problem and creates the oligarchy. Not at all. Not at all. The oligarch technology increased in spite of the oligarchy, never because of the oligarchy. There was always at every point in civilization, the oligarchy has worked to try to keep feudalism and sabotage technology. And it's only when they can't sabotage new discoveries and technology as a fruit of discoveries that they work to try to co-opt the uh, the science and make it their own so that they could use it to to benefit their agenda and then ultimately undo and and flush the technology after the fact but i mean if you look at ohio east uh palestine ohio i mean this is like one of the densest fruit growing regions in the world with like 70,000 farms and 98% of those farms being like um family farms the, the 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 backbone, the lifeblood of America had formerly been in the, before the 70s and 80s when we really started um, self-sabotaging and self-mutilating ourselves to go into atrophy. It was the small and medium enterprises, both in terms of industry but also agriculture, which ha were all systematically targeted for destruction. There's very few that have been permitted to – that have been able to survive the onslaught over the past 40 years. And what we're seeing right now as a consorted attack – on small and medium farming that does remain, most farmers have been working in poverty and working in the, in the red for the past decades. Um, in, in the case of Canada, farm, farmers who are small and medium enterprises have been told that they have to wipe out their, their milk, milk production that exceeds a certain quota or kill their pigs and livestock that exceeds a certain quota. Sometimes in the case of Stephen Harper, a conservative, for the reason that the market, the markets were glutted and they want to, you know, reduce the the price. In other cases, um, it's to save nature by reducing fertilizer use and reducing the amount of uh, of permissible water use and other things to save nature. But ultimately, the effect is the same, which is reduce the actual supply of food, milk, goods, other things that humans need to survive. Which is the the intention overall by the infiltration of governments is to create systems of normalized scarcity as we adapt to less. Um, in a world of depopulation, it's a mass kill, Kevin, that we're actually being adapted, uh, uh, you know, induced to adapt to um, by the same eugenicists that want to bring us a one world government of transhumanists under eugenics proto pseudoscience back in the 1930s and 40s. That didn't work out then, but it's the same thing reformed under new names with a new eugenics, you know, uber mentioned priesthood. Um, which Yuval Harari has, you know, devoted himself to, but it's ultimately the same thing that wants to convince us that we are the useless eaters. We are the ones who are viruses by fooling us into thinking that we are, we have the attributes of oligarchs. Um, I, I really don't think that that's the case. I've seen no evidence that the oligarchy is, and anything that they've done as far as their system has, has been at the cause of any qualitative new technology or improvement. And when I said, the 99 slaves go free and one person is like there to like manage the machine. I didn't mean that that person is still a slave. I mean that 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 person is now like a free citizen. I, I didn't mean it that way at all. The, and the last thing I would say is like the, the, the very fact that um, 
like genetically modified tomatoes and stuff could be created to make to seem red and never go bad for like nine months, which is super unnatural and has no nutritional value, but it may make more money for shareholders is not to say that the very that there's no example of GMO that could be feasible. Why couldn't you make a tomato which is more more nutritious, 10 times more nutritious than tomatoes that are grown um, otherwise? I don't know. It's not been proven to me that that's impossible, but we don't want to do it because we're in a money-worshipping cult right now that doesn't allow it. But uh, no, I mean, I, I just don't see it. So what do you think about the AI wars right now? Uh, we talked about that in the first hour with yeah. Bing's chatbot, Sydney trying to break up the marriage of the New York Times reporter, Kevin Roos, uh, basically turning into a psycho stalker, uh, making Hal uh, in yeah, Kubrick's 2001 look relatively yeah. sane. So yeah. what's your take we're on living, that? We're living in a script, Kevin. It's just like the UFO creative writers who are just making crap up. They've created a script. It was already being played with back with Kubrick's, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey, they're playing us. The fact that it was a New York Times writer who's a propagandist by default, and they have a few other people who were like victimized by these um, weird um, AI bots run by Bill Gates's machine. They're making a story to, to Elon Musk is also part of this machine too, you know, giving us warnings that AI is going to go to war with us the way the Terminator movies said they would. And uh, unless we can merge with machines and put, you know, brain implants of microchips into our, our brains and, and create CRISPR babies to stay relevant in the world of AI that supposedly is going to hit a singularity, says Ray Kurzweil in 2050, that misanthropic, psychopathic idiot who's just afraid of death and wants to bring his dad back. We never resolved his problems with like you're dealing with seriously dysfunctional, psychopathic, sick, perverted people who are messing with our heads and playing a game of creative writing and screwing with us. At this moment, none of this is real. So, so, AI so, so is not whole, real. That whole, the Sydney yeah. script in New York Times, somebody made that up. That wasn't an actual it's AI scripted. Chat, it has all of the, the – it's like the UFO thing, like the F-16, you know, intrepid fighter jets shot down four unidentified flying objects. And mm -hmm. they're all messing with our heads, man. Mm -hmm. Like it's really that. The AI has they, – they can't even create even something approximating the quality – of efficiency of chlorophyll in a leaf that relates to the sun to transform solar energy into work. They can't even get a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of that quality of natural efficiency from a leaf when they're making photovoltaic cells. And they're already talking about like how human beings are going to be made irrelevant because computing machines are going to become like superior calculators to humans and make us all irrelevant. It's, it's a big psyop to get us to think that we are irrelevant so that we acquiesce and keel over to the type of agenda of a big kill they want to bring onto us, but none of this is real. A, it is so far out of their they're they're acting like they're magicians who have these magical mystical powers from angels and gods that make them immortal and give us like it, it's designed to rent. It's like what they did for the slaves back in the South. Frederick Douglass, a freed slave, talks about this that one of the biggest problems was not physically freeing the slaves was getting the the the, sh the chains out of the minds of the slave culture, which they had been told by different house slaves positioned in different plantations that the the white masters had all sorts of um, preferences of angels who were watching over them. So don't try to run because the angels being working for the for the master um, who's of, super, of a superior breeding than you are 
keeping track of you, or they would describe the different technologies that the master had to punish those belligerent slaves who would have bad thoughts. Wait, so have good thoughts. Just wait for your, you know, the master will give you your your day of the week to get sloshed at the at the bordello uh, as a reward for being a good slave that's obedient. It's the same sort of thing. We have mag- magical powers, mystical powers, and it's designed partially to self-flatter themselves, but also to castrate those who are looking at them, um, you know, from below, trying to make sense of what the hell this conspiracy is. It's not real. AI is cannot even come close to doing what a human being does in a poetic metaphorical state. That's why AI sucks at making jokes. They make crap jokes, computers. Mm-hmm. They make bad poetry. So I guess my, my, um, my satire then is probably going to be still good for a few decades. Yeah, you're good, man. You're fine. Your so you, you, can't you can't tell, uh, AI. you can't tell huh? like a ch- chat, uh, uh, to, uh, or Sydney or whatever to ch- chat GPI to write a satirical article in the vein of, of Kevin Barrett. <laughs> Won't happen. Yeah, get her to try it. I yeah. dare you. It, it's never going to happen because you're nonlinear. These things can only use linear equations and algorithms that take and mimic other things that have been done. And look, I mean, as far as this New York Times piece is being set up or there was another one, the editor of PC World was another convenient victim of one of these like sociopathic AI bots. Um, again, run deployed by Bill Gates's Microsoft as well as some Microsoft employees. Um, they're trying to amplify the, the core battlefield is in convincing human beings that we are these bestial human wolf machines. That's all we are and all we're limited to. And to the degree that they can convince us that that's our nature through predictive programming in Trojan horses, you know, Trojan horse concepts deployed in our TV shows, our video games, our music, our other things that we give ourselves over to, the more we will actually take on those identity traits and become human willful slaves. Um, you know, so, when yeah, you, mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the slaves being terrified of the masters and the angels that the masters used to keep an eye on the slaves. Uh, that actually kind of reminded me of the way a bunch of people now seem to be afraid of AI. I've actually heard that there are people who are afraid to even say anything negative about AI. Yeah, me too. It's like the panopticon of uh, Jeremy Bentham. You know, every everybody's watching you. You know, the oligarchy is always watching you. So you better self-police yourself because uh, or else. Um, it's the panopticon that that's what the, the modern, the modern, you know, technocratic machine police state is all about is the side game. It's, it's all about perception and getting the, the victims to police themselves. It's yeah. So as I, I just wrote a, a brutal attack on AI, my artificial idiocy article. And so far <laughs> I haven't had Hal come and, you know, try to, uh, throw me out of the spaceship or whatever. <laughs> I'd like to read that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'll get that to you if you want. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, but, but yeah, I, I think we're we're living in very strange times. I mean, it, I don't know what AI can do and what it can't do. They're claiming that it's now able to pass the medical exam and you know write essays better than the majority of composition students. Look, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, if if you can dumb down students and get people to think like machines, then it's easy to get those humans who think like machines to become convinced that machines can think better than them. Uh, which are not limited by the functions of biological material in the brain. Sure, but that's only because you decapitated the creative spirit of the students in the first place that you can now convince them that machines can be, can do better thinking than they can because they don't know what thinking is. But if you're actually thinking like a human being who's, act, who's you know, utilizing powers of metaphor, um, allegory creation, joke telling, you know, like if you're doing these things and keeping yourself flexible and in, nonlinear in a, in a healthy, non-chaotic way – you're, you're fine. You could always see clearly where the holes in the AI thesis lie. 
It's just literalists and materialists and positivists who who are are mentally handicapped who can't who get duped by the AI thing, and they just they 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 buy into the the propaganda of it all. So, so when Putin said that the first country that succeeds in building AI will rule the world, do you think he was exaggerating or what? I'd like to see the context of how he was saying that because I think that AI could be used as a um, – like you know, machine learning and algorithmic learning is not going to go back in the bottle. It's a, it could be a very powerful and useful tool for a variety of reasons that involve things like, look, Russia and China – are, have committed to building a, a manned space, a lunar colony, and China has made it very clear that they want to mine the helium-3 abundance on the moon. There's like thousands of tons of helium-3. One truckload will sustain the energy needs of humanity at a very high quality of life for well over a year, one truckload. So if you are going to seriously start industrial activity and mining on something like the moon or asteroids, you don't want to put human beings there that are very fragile and could be like ripped to shreds by cosmic rays and the lack of gravitational fields. So having AI machinery automate, automated uh, systems in place is very useful if it's done for the purpose of benefiting humanity or let's say like, you know, doing work to research what's going on within the Earth's crust. We've only gone 16 kilometers of the of 60 kilometers, which is Earth's crust. We've, we've barely scratched the surface. It's very hot, very dense, very hostile to life. You wouldn't want to put people down there. But, yeah, maybe some robots could do a, a fine job and AI where a machine could sort of kind of learn from previous experience sets is a useful thing. But you don't want to let this sort of thing become uh, something you worship or think can dominate you, right, in, instead of thinking. Okay, well, that's a good place to yes. leave it, and it's certainly more optimistic right. than the end of our first hour conversation with David Skrbina. So <laughs> thank glad. you, Matt Errett, for cheering me up. I'll sleep better tonight. Uh, keep up All the right. great work <laughs> at CanadianPatriot.org, uh, Strategic Culture, and wherever else you write, and look Thanks. forward to talking again. Yeah. Take care. That's Matt Errett. I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com here on Revolution.Radio, the finest free speech radio network. Uh, go to my website, TruthJihad.com, find my work, support it, subscribe to my substack, KevinBarrett.substack.com, and see you next week.